Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. So going into Daddy's Girl, so I started doing that. And um, I realized being a writer and being able to tell a story because I was in that writer's room that I was like, and I'd never done reality at the time. So I had a very different route than other people that worked in reality uh, that I was able to put together a, a story, you know, whether it was real or not. What's up, guys? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershaz, and I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine is about two things. Number one, people are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world. Doing both of these despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews of world-class speakers and business leaders showcasing their origin story, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now, so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life, business, and career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years in entrepreneurship as a CEO to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation and messages, and I'm stoked to have you guys here. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde, and we have a very amazing special guest, and my friend Nadine Rajabi. Welcome to the show. Woo! Hey, Darius. Yay! Um, clap. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, guys, um, as you guys know who watch the show, which is the millions of you out there, um, the show is about two things. We're about people who are living their greatness, and those who are, are living their greatness to create passions in the world. I don't know. I, I just mix that backwards. Those who are living their passions to create greatness in the world. And my friend Nadine is full of passion and greatness. I'm so glad to have you here today. Um, with that said, guys, a few things. We are live. So uh, there's no takes here. We can't read, no redos. Um, if I say something totally fucked up, it just can't undo it. It just happened. This is this is the world we live in today. Um, it's This is the Trumpisms. Anyway, um, <laughs> You might get you might get canceled today off this show. I, yeah, this might be my last show. I, you know, that, that's just it. I just might be my lose. last show. <laughs> um, you guys, uh, look if you like a call, if you like anything we're talking about, like the comment. Uh, start a watch party and ask us questions. Um, I've been so pumped to have Nadine on this show for so long. I was like, oh, I can't wait to have Nadine on the show. We're going to talk about so much fun, cool stuff. Um, so, can I give my little bio of you? Is that cool? Please. I, I wrote the ending myself. I took. <laughs> <laughs> I redid your life for you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so here I'm gonna. Some of it's her formal bio, but some of it's my less so formal. So Nadine is an actress, comedian, and pulp culture expert. She's created, written, and hosted many digital series for top platforms and networks, including Bravo's digital series The Shaws Come Clean with Nadine from Shaws of Sunset, Fresh Squeezed, The Housewives of Orange County, and Housewiveology. The Real Housewives of New Jersey, and currently, she's the executive producer and showrunner for the very popular. Aren't you like number one on on cable TV? Is that right? Uh, maybe number two. Yeah. 
Sometimes we're number one. Sometimes, but yes, pretty, we're, 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 we're potato. You're number one in my book. We're number baby. one. That's right. That's number all that matters. The second place is the first loser. Uh, Winning below the deck at Mediterranean, and you've been doing all the below the decks. That, that's your deal, right? That's your baby, isn't that right? Oh yes, Below Deck Med is my. I I birthed it. I have no other life except for that television show. I just got back from shooting another season, which we aren't really supposed to talk about, but I just did, so we can't undo that. Um, but uh, shooting in a pandemic is no joke. That's something we could talk about. But uh, but yeah, that's that's a series that I launched, and and every year I'm like, you know what? I need to move on and do other things. But it's like it just keeps sucking me back in. It's like I can't abandon my child. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't just leave it at the grocery store like Punky Brewster. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I didn't. Oh wait, you didn't let me finish the best part of the whole bio. Right. So. So um, some fun facts about Nadine. She's a national champion black belt. There's some amazing pictures of her in karate geese, by the way. Um, a world-class soccer player, badass soccer player, competitive snowboarder, former semi-pro soccer player. And most importantly, she lived on Circular Lazo in Anaheim Hills in the 1980s and 90s and hung out with me and my brother in our neighborhood. And we, we, com we committed so many crimes. Not even, not even legal to remind people of them today. We actually committed crimes. They were like very low-level crimes. But. They were low-level. You know, and, and thank, thankfully before we were 18, so uh, they, yeah. they didn't stay on the road. <laughs> yeah, you can ding-dong ditch and can cars and egg houses. That's, that's all It's all legal. I mean, it's not totally legal, but you can do it and get away with it when you're nine. By the way, it wasn't documented. We never got arrested for it, so it's fine. Yeah, I can neither confirm <laughs> or deny that we committed those fraudulent activities, but maybe it happened. So, man, so good, so good that you're back on this continent. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I mean, I've, I've been home for a week, so it's been a lot of adjusting, obviously. And, you know, I was really freaked out about flying in a pandemic. I was flying domestically, which that first time I. Oh. Um, uh, but flying overseas was and going in, through international airports in a pandemic, especially when Europe was like shut down, was a little scary because the news really freaks you out. And listen, the pandemic kind of freaks me out. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Um, but I feel really great to be home, like, and back in, you know, I'm, I'm in my little space right now without wearing a mask for a second. I, I think we all have mask fatigue and mm -hmm. it's been, it's been rough. You know, I feel like we're all just trying to make our own fun, trying to reconnect with family, with friends and things like that. But I'm, I'm so happy to be here with you. And I think you're my first human interaction besides my family, actually, Darius. <laughs> I, if you were here, I'd give you a hug. We could actually like humans right now. Um, so and I'm COVID negative, so I would give you a hug. <laughs> I, you know, I, I hug people. I still hug people, and don't, I'm not worried about COVID. I've done the yeah. math. You have to hug them. Like, it has to be a really creepy long hug. Like a 15-minute hug? Yeah. I have to hug you for, like, nine minutes and not let go and, like, do face breathing. So, right. Exactly. Like, just, like, face-to-face -face <laughs> like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 like, people are, like, throwing up the bows. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, you're not going to get COVID by giving me a fucking hug unless you right. literally sneeze in my mouth. Like, right. <laughs> right, it's true. It's true. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I kind of roll up. I'm like, dude, bring it in for the real thing. Like, come on. Um. So, yeah. No, it's. Well, I'm glad that you, you have your priorities straight, and you're hanging out with me. With me. <laughs> uh, so, so how long were you in Europe for? I was there for two months. We had to quarantine. Um, four stars. There's an airplane overhead or a helicopter overhead. We had to quarantine, and then we. Literally, I was like, couldn't even go outside to run. Like they were taking it really serious because we created like a production bubble, kind of like the NBA did. Um, and then we got tested 
got tested every three days and all that stuff. But I was there for two months. And typically I'm only there for like, you know, we shoot for six and a half weeks and they go travel for a little bit after that. But like, I, I was like, let me, let's just get home. I couldn't even go anywhere. That was the other thing is like, you're kind of just stuck between a hotel room and, and the boat where we were shooting. That's yeah, that, that's, that does not sound like a fun year. I mean, the, the shooting part might, might've been cool, but the part but where no, you, you couldn't, it's like, it's such a tease being in Europe and not being able to go out in Europe. That's the yeah. thing. And like do the things that you want to do in Europe. What, what, are you allowed to say what country you're in? Yeah, I was in Croatia because Croatia was open, but also they invited us back. The government did because we shot their season two. And while we never like to repeat a location and we went to a different part of Croatia, it was literally the only place we could shoot in a pandemic with, you know, with all the, the board of tourism. It was a whole process. We like had a person from the CDC consulting with our production. We had a doctor with us 24 hours a day. God forbid something happens. And I mean, we traveled 50 people over there. So the fact that nobody got sick, like not as of yet, I mean, nothing's come through since everyone's flown home. Like it's a miracle. Yeah, no, like like the odds say that that, that shouldn't have happened. But 50, you know. 50 people, like I think it's a little over 50 people. That's crazy. And so when you guys, was it like a bubble set? Like no one else was allowed in and out yep. of it? Yeah, exactly yeah. right. So we were in a hotel in the bubble. We took over the whole hotel and then our show's on a boat. So we take a water taxi to the boat. When we go to the boat, everyone on that boat is same protocol tested every three days. Um, and by the way, <laughs> I had to have a conversation with our production doctor. I was like in America, they don't swab us as hard. Like she, the first day she shoved that thing up my nose. I was like, I go, you don't need to go that far up. And she's like, yes, I do. I was like, come on, be gentle. And after that, she went, okay. Uh, because everyone complained. And she she eased up on us, but it was really funny. She didn't have, she wasn't being sensual with her. No, I was <laughs> like, come on, give me some give me some foreplay at least. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't just jam it in. I need to be exactly. warm up. So I, I had, I've only had one COVID test, but I, I, it was a surprise to me. So uh, here in Texas, so first of all, I flew to California to to, to shoot. Uh, I'm I'm turning my book into a course, and so oh my I went, god, thank god, great! I'm glad yeah, you're doing that. It's yeah, super cool, and I and I actually have never worked on a teleprompter in front of the camera before. As 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 energetic and like lively as I am, I I'm, I don't have that experience, and I did it, and I was like, dude, move over, Barack Obama, I will <laughs> fuck you up with a teleprompter. Um, but um, I, I fly back and I was like really tired because I've been working yeah. a lot, like getting the book launched and doing the, the course. And my wife's like, I bet you have COVID. You need to go get tested. I'm like, I don't wow. fucking have COVID. I didn't even see anybody. She's yeah. like, well, you were flying. So anyway, here in Texas, you got to drive through like a, like a Home Depot parking lot that's controlled by the state. Oh, wow. And, and, and it's like. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny actually because like they're all like waving you over and then you don't know if they're saying to roll down the window so you roll down the window and they all like tell you rolled up and like they're, they're all freaked out like you're going to give them a disease um because you know you're not you should, you're probably not going right. to get a test because you just like want fun for some for fun right you're doing it right. you might be sick so anyway That's right. i pull like the, the i go and i pull my mask down my nose is sticking out and they dude i swear to god that fucking thing went like it's so long they were touching my brain <laughs> I know, I know. And, 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 and so here's the deal: like, I didn't even want to do it. My wife made me do it, and, and, I, and I, I'm cursing her name in my brain the whole fu- every inch of that fucking thing's going in my head. Uh, and, and then they pull it out, and I'm like, "Are you like my eyes are watering? And I'm like, they hurt." And I was like, "Fuck this! They don't have a better way of doing this." So, you, how many of those did you do? Every three days. Can you believe that? So they swapped us that way, both nostrils, and to be safe, to do it. They do a mouth one too, 
like literally, I actually have a video. I don't know if you can share a video. I can send you a video of like you're just in line to just be like completely like just like prodded and poked every three days. I was like, there's got to be a better way, but there isn't. Yeah. By the way, you know, it's really funny in California. So in Texas, like you're saying, that's um, the way they're doing it. In California, there's so many testing sites now because like California has been insane with COVID. They're, like there is like, by the way, there's more dispensaries in California than I think Starbucks. Now I feel like there's more COVID uh, testing sites than there are <laughs> dispensaries in Starbucks. <laughs> I like, literally walked up to one and I was in line. I was like in and out within like 10 minutes and like, before that, I had to go to Dodger Stadium. I was in my car. It was a whole thing. This is when COVID first was like run rapid and things like that. I remember it was first like just ramping up and nobody knew a lot about it. Mm-hmm. And I was in line for two and a half hours. This one like took me 10 minutes when I just went in last week to to get my test because I was like, I can't be in quarantine for two weeks. So I've gotten tested twice. And so and I they, talked to our production doctor and they're and like, they do, you, you go out. They do the quick, like the deep, the little swab, the quick one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty, it was pretty easy, but it's, it's, it's no joke. My God, when they, when they go up there, it's like, it's shocking. Dude, I told my wife, I would rather get a prostate exam than the COVID. Well, listen, I've never had a prostate exam, but I'd rather get a prostate exam and I don't have a prostate. <laughs> I, I, she's like, like, you're lying. And I'm like, no, seriously, I'd rather someone put their fucking finger on my seriously. Than, they, I, I, like all day long. Literally, you should tell your wife, by the way, the doctor told me the airplane is probably one of the safest places you could be. It's safer than a grocery store. It's safer than any place you could be. It's the airport that you've got to be worried about. Okay, cool. Done. Because a lot of those, a lot of those uh, uh, airplanes have redone, like the the HEPA filters and things like that. Like it's actually, listen, it's not like you're like free and clear of the disease, but it is safer than a grocery store because it's really well contained and I don't. I mean, you're flying from California to Texas, so I don't know. It. it I'm sure they didn't feed you any food because when I was flying to New York, no. they gave us like a boxed. Yeah. Gave me like a boxed thing, but um, but going internationally, when I flew United, they actually gave us an old like a, a tray, but they weren't pouring drinks in the open. They gave us like a mini bottle of wine that was already sealed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I flew back with British Airways, they gave me a boxed dinner, but it was all hot, but it was all like contained and. And it was a whole thing. And the woman that was like, she had it. She goes, bring me your bag. I'll give you more champagne and you can just fill it up. And I was like, oh my God, she's yeah. like giving away her booth at this point. Yeah. You're like, you're like, I know a free champagne cures COVID. <laughs> exactly. Um, right. Exactly. Not a yeah. hangover, but COVID. Yeah. yeah he killed it. Um, Dr- dr- drinking bleach does like the president said. <laughs> no, I, well, yeah. What I was going to say was I heard that the safest place to not get COVID is a Trump rally, but that's not. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it's a hoax. Nobody there has it. <laughs> dude uh, i don't even get me started i remember when i was in europe and that happened it was all the news in europe by the way when i was watching it in europe like they were following the president's like COVID. i was like the fact we are such a joke in croatia i'm watching international news and they're following trump having covid in his like weird fake lair in like the walter reed hospital i was like this like I, like first of all there's two things that crossed my mind when he had it and I was like, okay, either he really has it, and and, and I, I do think he had it, but, like, he's going to use this to be like, it's fine, it's nothing, I got over it, blah, 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 which is what yeah. he did. Or he actually faked the disease because he's just crazy enough to do that, to say, it's fine, I got it, everything's fine. I, my, I, 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 well, if, if you remember, the week it came out, like, was the week his tax returns came out, the 750 bucks? I was totally buried it. 
so, he totally buried it. So, I, so that came, that shit came out. I'm like, dude, he doesn't, he doesn't, like, he doesn't fucking have COVID. This is no. I'm like, he's trying. I'm like, listen, if I was a billionaire that it just, and I was president of the United States running for re-election, it just came out that I paid 750 bucks in taxes and was fighting a 71 million dollar tax refund. I I could COVID, that. dude. I get COVID in two seconds. I'd be like, can you cough on me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, hey, uh, like who, who has COVID? Come give me COVID. <laughs> I would be like kissing oh people. My God. Oh my god! Oh my god! Take me to, to the to, take me to the intensive care unit of every. <laughs> President Rashazi, why are you kissing people on the mouth with COVID? <laughs> My COVID's very, very good. It's very good COVID. Uh, COVID had. Oh, I had the best COVID. If, if I had COVID, it's the best COVID. Um. <laughs> and that, that's the best. Oh, very good COVID. <laughs> number, one. <laughs> number one COVID in all of COVID. <laughs> if, if, if Trump was Persian, he'd be like, the number one COVID. Num- number one COVID. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best, the best um, so. by the way now ben carson has it i'm like oh now you have it like like he's just feeling left out at this point because everyone else had it around the trump administration yeah, i was like ben go away he's trying to be relevant because he's losing his job <laughs> that's what i'm saying he's losing all right exactly he's like i have it too i have it hey, hey, don't forget about me i'm the secretary of housing, <laughs> housing. i got covid <laughs> The Pence fly, Pence fly got COVID, I think, too. Oh, my God. That fucking fly. I died. I literally lost my mind. It was the best. It was the best thing. Oh, I'm like, this is going to be all over Saturday Night Live. Um, oh, my God. It was genius. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you. They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life. Canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. So, so, hey, I want to back up for a second because um, – so let's back way up. So you – you're in the entertainment business, so obviously the some people that are watching this know you that we grew up with. But the, 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 you know, you're like the guy behind the guy now, and you were in front of the screen before, and now you're behind yeah. the screen. Why don't you kind of walk us through like, like how did you get to where you're at right now? And I want to start from maybe like when you were, you know, you, you were an athlete. You're in college, and and you were in college at was it California Lutheran? Yeah, yeah. Start there and kind of take us forward. Uh, well, I was, uh, it was funny because I was a bio major and I always knew that I wanted to be doing some th- sort of thing in television. I always wanted to be a stand up. My, my, you know, it was when, it was when Joan Rivers used to cover for Carson when Carson was out. I remember I'd tell my mom, that's what I want to do. She'd be like, after you're a doctor or a lawyer, that's what you could do. I was like, yeah. okay, after. <laughs> I'm going to do both professions and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to become a comedian. Such a Persian answer. <laughs> totally, totally. I'll never forget. And those are the days that we were all playing together on Circular Lazo and View Corral. And um, I got an internship at Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher. This is before he was kicked off the air and before real time existed because Bill Maher made a uh, statement about 9-11 and he got canceled on, um, it was when he was on ABC. So I was an intern there and um, I was interning with the writers and I got some writing picked up on that show. I remember. And I, I, at the time, and we can say whatever we want on this, um, pot on this podcast, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can do whatever you so, want. Uh, this is in 1999, I think, or 98. I'd like, at the time, this is when like, when, you know, like with all the stuff of like dirty Sanchez, Cleveland steamer, all that stuff. Like, so I'm in college and I know about all these dirty, funny jokes I'm telling the writers on Politically Incorrect about this stuff. They're like, how do you know this stuff? I'm like, I'm in college. We joke about this stuff. Yeah. And they're like, so they thought I was the funniest thing. I'm like, I didn't make this stuff up. I just know about it because I'm in college. And so they're like, you have to, because they, and they found out I wanted to do stand up. Like, you have to get on stage. We're not going to sign your internship paperwork because we do it for college credit unless you get on stage. So <clears throat> on those writers of Politically Incorrect, which a lot of them are writers on real time still made me get up on stage and do stand up before I like would do anything. So I did that. Wait, can I ask I, a question? Can yeah. I ask a question? What was your first joke? Do you remember? Oh my God. Um, it was my first joke ever was, um, oh my God, I do. I'm trying to not butcher it. <laughs> it was something about, actually one of my first jokes was that was about, um, it was all about being Persian, but my first joke was, 
the punchline was we still smell the same, but I don't remember the setup for it. So oh. It was something about we still smell the same. <laughs> and then another one was about getting waxed and how, you know, you have to get like a weed whacker and a machete. And uh, it, uh, the first time I realized I had to get waxed, it was a bikini wax. And, 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 um, and I was like, you guys, there's a Brazilian rainforest. Shakira was there. Like it was the whole thing. She was trying to save, save the rainforest. It was like, there was something about being hairy. Uh, I went through a whole thing when I get whacked. It was like eyebrows. Oh, oh you cut. You, 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 all, uh, oh, are you there? Yep. Yeah, you're cutting out. They, the, the, the live stream got upset with how much I had to get waxed. I was saying, yeah, the live stream eyebrows, like, bikini, hey, bikini. Yeah, like enough. I'm like, way. It was just like easy, easy jokes about hair and whatever we could, you know, whatever we could make. But it was just whatever. Well, be. Being Persian is funny because so for those of you in the audience don't know this, but, but may not know this, but but Nadine and I are both Persian, which is why we're so amazing. Um, <laughs> but um, but we're, I'm half Persian. She's double the Persian that I am. But um, <laughs> double your pleasure. Yeah, double, double, double the pleasure. Um, so so we're Persian. So I think growing growing up Persian is funny because you're you're not exactly white. Right. <laughs> but, right. Kind of like people like you trick people like my when I was in college, I had this Persian. Uh, he's actually a famous DJ now. His name's Ho, oh, wow. Hoj, H-O-J. He's like all over the world. Oh, wow. Hojob is his name. But um, he he and I were at, we, we were like the Persian guys in our fraternity. And 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 they called us the other white meat. Oh like, my God. Pork. <laughs> it's kind of funny because Persians are Muslim. Dirty pork, right? Right. <laughs> we were the other white meat. That was, I think, his nickname actually. Um, That's hilarious. So so we grew up and we were like these like Persian kids. And, and to your point, like you're like you're like what the fuck's all this hair? You know? Yeah. <laughs> like like totally. like like this isn't cool. <laughs> I mean, I was literally covered in hair. Like I was like, we were covered in hair. Like it's funny because Darius's twin Mikey was not hairy. Like the, like you and I were like, Mikey had less hair than us. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. My mom like doesn't have hair on her legs. Um, Yeah. It's, it's Persian. Persian's a funny culture like that. So, so you grew up Persian. Your mom's like, you better be a doctor. You end up on Bill Maher. And, and so you do the stand up and then take us from there. So doing so, I tried to stand up while I was in college, and then when I actually graduated college, I hit it hard. I took a joke writing class. I did all that stuff, <clears throat> and then I was, um, you know, after that, I was still interning and doing things like that. I was an assistant for this guy um, at at Twentieth Television, which is a division of Fox, um, and so I was like answering phones, learning how to write one sheets, and then driving wherever I could to go do a, a set. Like I was driving from L.A. to San Diego on a night and back, Santa Barbara, wherever it was, and I was hitting it hard. And then I, you know, I, I don't know how, how far back and how detailed you want me to get in through my oh, history, oh, but whatever you're comfortable with, I want to, I want to give some context around how you yes. doing, being so a, I, doing what you're doing now, which is insane. So, so basically, so I, I was always in TV doing it that way. And then I remember I was making basically a hundred dollars a day. It was $24,000 a year. And I was like, you know, you can't pay your rent off $24,000 a year, even in the year 2000 at that point or 2001. And I remember there's a guy that I knew in the promo department. And this is like where they do all the TV promos and things like that. He's like, hey, we need a coordinator there. He's like, why don't you meet with my boss? And I was like, I don't know anything about promos. He's, I was like, but I want more money. So I remember the guy interviewed me and he was like, how much money will it take to get you out of your job? And I was like, I'm thinking I'm going to hit him big, Darius. I was like, $36,000 a year. Boom. Not me. I'm going to be rich. And so the guy goes, 
okay. And I was like, oh, fuck, I guess I got to quit my job being an assistant. I'm going to go be a coordinator in the promo department. And I'm thinking, I hit a big at 36 grand a year. Like, I, I'm 21. I'm, I'm living large. I can now, like, really, I, I've made it now. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're I made it. Total <laughs> So they ended up having a huge round of layoffs with, like, their promo writers and things like that. In between, he knew I wanted to be a writer, not writing TV commercials, but you know, the guy was actually really nice and he felt that I was like, you know, creative. And so I started shadowing the promo writers and they handed me at the time they had world's wildest police videos. It was the reruns of it on FX. So that, you know, the channel FX. Mm -hmm. So they gave that to me. So my job became watching police chase after police chase, writing promos for world's wildest police videos. And I mean, like, cause it was, it was very cheeky. The promos were, so it was like a little bit of comedy writing and, um, and then I started like writing trailers for them and writing like not just for that show, but just like little by little. And I was like at that point, I think 23, 24, and we, we were directing voiceover. So I had like Don LaFontaine, who's now dead now, but he was the famous voiceover guy for the movies. Like in a world, like it was that guy. Yeah. He would always, he would either come in the office and he had a limo driver because people had limos back then. And he would come in and we'd be directing voiceovers. And the first time I directed him was through this ISDN line because back in the day they had this column line. It was a crystal clear thing. And I, he didn't know I was this 23-year-old kid directing this famous voiceover guy. And, you know, I'm directing him. I forget what spot it was. Um, it was it was great. It was fine. It was it was perfectly fine. Like, who am I to tell this guy who's this professional? Like, I, it was total fake until you make it. I had no idea what I was doing. Like, zero. I was like, great. Can we do it one more time for safety? Like, <laughs> I'm directing this guy at 23 years old. And so basically I started doing that. Then I started writing, like I, I started meeting people. I wrote trailers for like Paramount. I did like, and they gave me a lot of kids' movies. I did Charlotte's Web, Barnyard, a bunch of other movies like that. Um, a lot of like movie campaigns, Back of the Jacket, um, DVD covers and things like that. Um, I went back, got my master's um, and I was doing a ton of stand-up at the time. And I was at the club and this guy who owned National Lampoon um, at the time um, had kind of picked me up and uh, they started a, they started National Lampoon Radio before XM Sirius was a thing. And so I was syndicated and they'd sold it to a bunch of markets. I was like a hundred different markets doing the entertainment news. And then XM, well, it was actually just XM because they had XM and Sirius before the merger. And then we had a channel on XM and I was doing the entertainment news and I started getting a lot of listeners. So then they were like, why don't we start you off an hour a day, five days a week? And I was doing like celeb interviews and things like that. That ended up being th- three hours a night where I was doing like, you know, interviewing comedians, celebrities, doing all that stuff. And so I really started getting a lot. It was like I was getting paid, but it became the best paid internship for me because it was like I wasn't getting paid a lot, but I was taking advantage of having this platform of like being on XM at the time and having like three hours of airtime. I mean, it was a wild, wild west because nobody really knew satellite radio. You could say whatever you wanted. Like you could experiment. It was such a great training ground for me. Um, And then from there, I started using that as a platform to like, I started doing all those, I love the 90 shows, those best week ever shows, all those like commentating shows. And that really helped me launch um, kind of my on-camera persona. And I was a part of a Showtime special. And so I did three different standard specials and it was, pretty crazy. But at the same time, I was also like trying to pitch a lot of ideas. And while I was in a lot of these rooms on camera, I was always like, Hey, I've got all these TV show ideas and anybody, you know, they're like, Oh, I'll introduce you to so-and-so because once I was a comedian and I was on camera, or like I had XM behind me, even though they knew 
they didn't know I was not getting paid a time. I mean, I was getting, I don't know how much I was getting paid. Maybe like I was maybe getting paid two grand a month or three grand a month, but like I was getting paid through other means through, through my standup, through on camera and things like that. It was not a lot of money, but, and that's why I call it a paid internship in that sense. But mm-hmm. it was such a bigger launching pad for me. Cause I was also still writing movie jackets and things like that. So I was like, literally like a gypsy with a million jobs. I was at that point making pretty good money for my twenties, but like I had a hundred jobs, like yeah. trying to juggle them all. And, um, I remember I got picked up to be in this Fox think tank. Cause I pitched him an idea about one of my best friends who was the heiress to hot dog on a stick. I it was the mall chain. And I met her playing soccer and through a mutual no friend. Way. Yeah. And I remember I called it heiress on a stick and Fox liked the idea. They liked that I was a comedian. They're like, we're starting a think tank where we have a bunch of creatives here. You're, you have an interesting voice because you're a comedian and a writer. And they had like somebody that was a reality person um, who, by the way, has quit reality TV. He was a Harvard grad and now like is working for the Democratic uh, DNC. Uh, There's another guy that was a music guy. So we were all bunch, basically a bunch of creative monkeys that were in this room. And every week we come in with show ideas or an interesting article being like, hey, you guys should think about making a show with this. And they would give us their unscripted and scripted ideas. Like if they had a scripted idea that they bought, the studio bought, they're like, we don't know what to do with this idea. We would look at it and brainstorm and think, how can we tweak this or things like that. And so from that, I sold a digital show um, and it was terrible, but it was with Natasha Legero and I, it's called the Skinny Fat Free News. And it was like a dumb girls news show. They launched the digital um, studio for Fox off our show, and that became a really big thing. They did a whole press release. This is like when digital was we – were, I was already doing things on digital, but this was <clears throat> kind of like still beyond before its time of like they weren't doing a lot of things digitally because people hadn't figured it out yet. When you say digitally, what do you mean by that? <laughs> like it was just an online, strict, strictly online show. Oh, it were, yeah, we're like where everything is now. Right. Yeah, exactly. But back then it was like not a, like they hadn't really figured it out. It was like, like you mean you're not on cable? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, they how put much money behind watch it. you? I can't. Right. Watch you. I can't watch you. Right. Yeah, watch my mom's you like, how computer? do I get this? Right. <laughs> watch you on my phone. But they partnered with like MySpace at the time. Like my like <laughs> like. No, you're, you're <laughs> oh, you're cutting out. Okay, great. So basically we had done that. And I remember uh, my friend who was in the think tank was right. He was a writer on Run's House, which is a Run DMC show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was a reality show. And this is the age of like scripted reality where they were doing the hills or doing all that stuff. And I'm, I would probably get in trouble and broke some sort of NDA, but I feel like the, the, the statue of the days has passed. It's been over 10 years, but they were literally writing reality. And so they needed a writer for, the spinoff Daddy's Girls, which was um, Rev Run's. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was a writer on MTV. So I was a writer on that. We had a whole writer's room, Darius. It was crazy. And by the way, that writer's room was brilliant. Graham Moore, uh, a great friend of mine, went on to write Imitation Game, won an Oscar. Was an, like, these are people in our like reality writing room. This is my friend Ben Epstein, who's sold a million shows to uh, a lot of scripted shows. Like we had a brilliant writing room. Um, Charles right. Hood's a big director now. I mean, it's crazy. Can I ask you a question? Because I, I, yeah. I would, uh, so I, I can't remember who it was, but it's, it's, it was, I was listening to NPR and this woman was talking about how she basically worked. She was like a, I think she was a comedian or something like that. And she got, she wrote a show and got to work in the writing room. And she's like, 
it was the best job ever. Like working oh my God. And was like, I can't believe I get paid to do this. It's well, literally, it's so much fun. It's like you're sitting in a room with a bunch of funny people where, where it's like, it's, it depends. Obviously some people are like, I had bad experiences or people are really competitive or whatever that is, but I feel like that can happen with any job. But like course, yeah. for the most part, you're sitting around like telling fart jokes, like laughing, telling, like discussing politics, laughing, taking zero seriously, but all kind of coming together to try to put together the funniest piece of material that you could put together until the network shoots it down, obviously. Right. It's how do you, so how do you, fun. What, like right now in, in, in just to press the pause button here, right now in our woke hashtag me yeah. too, like total cancel culture, you know, how do you feel like, like the things that you did then, how do you think those would be like, like, how is it now? Maybe. I mean, oh my God, Darius, I don't think you can get away with anything you can get away with. I, I wrote on this game show. I, I took this game show to um, just keep up my writer's guild benefits because they've got great benefits, the writer's guild. And I took this two month job just to keep up the benefits. And I, it was a show called Oh Sit. And it was, it was a basically like wipeout, but it was a musical chairs um, game show on the CW and it was a, we, we had actual writers um, on there cause it was all joke after joke after joke. And some of the jokes on there, I was showing my friend, she's like, Nadine, you guys would be canceled for these jokes. And I was like, I know, like if, if you go back and you like Google some of these jokes, I was like, Oh my God. Like, thank God nobody knows who wrote those jokes. Just our names are on there as writers. Credit yeah. to like, like, I swear to God, I, I didn't write that super racist, sexist. It's terrible. <laughs> it is terrible and i was like i was embarrassed because i was like i know who wrote that joke and i also know what jokes i wrote because we don't mean anything by it it was like those were just the times of like that's where comedy was and like i feel like the pendulum has swung so far to the other end that everything is so sacred where it's like i i know i'm not racist i know that i don't shame fat shame people i don't slut shame people i don't do any of those things i you know and it's it's if somebody doesn't know you, it will be taken the wrong way. Cause I'm like the most accepting, most empathetic person. Like in my, like I know that I am and like to be, if anybody were to call me any of those things, I'd be mortified because it's the opposite of who I am. And I make fun of myself for being Persian. It's like, you know, it's one of those things where it's just, we're in a crazy, like, I, I don't feel like you can get away with any of the things we got away with back then. Well, right. But, but, and, and, and probably wrong. I mean, I'm going to say something provocative right now, wrongfully. So like, you know, the, there is probably some of that, look, there's an argument to be made and I'm not going to say that all those jokes were, were, were cool. Right. Probably some of them were super. No, they, they're terrible. They were terrible. Super, and I, I was mortified by some of them. Yes. Some of them were probably super fucking uncool. And like yep. someone in that room that felt like shit when you said it and everyone yep. laughed and they just, you know, bit the bullet. Yep. But, but there's another side of this where it's like, look, people still make a shit ton of those jokes behind closed doors with their friends yeah. and family. So what are we really, we're really just filtering the way, we're filtering the world outside of us. That's, it, it's almost like an Instagram filter, right? It's like you never actually right. put it. It's you what, what you want people to see and hear. So it's, you know, like it's, it's, this is the world we're living in. Well, it's super fucking, it's just, it's it just yeah. super inauthentic. And what it does is it gives, yeah. it gives rise to Trumpism where you're like, I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want. You can, right. you can kiss my ass. Right. Right. So, right. and, and dude, like people are like, fuck yeah, I want to do that too. Yeah. Right? So you yeah. can, that's the other side of the pendulum. And I'm like, listen, no, both aren't right. Like you should listen, 
you should be able to say like like stand-up comedians won't even go to colleges anymore, right? Yeah. Like Carlos Mencia was one of my favorite stand-up comedians. And mm-hmm. you watch some of his shit, and it's like, oh my fucking god. Yeah, like, it's racy. Said that shit. And yeah. I'm like, or like it was racy then. Imagine now. You know what I mean? I swear to God, like I, I don't care yeah. what anyone says. I fucking love Carlos Mencia. No, he's very funny. You know, and, and and you go and you look at like stuff that we loved growing up, like Eddie Murphy in the eighties. Right? Oh my god, it's fucking crazy, right? The stuff that you would say. But by the way, it was so. It's still quoted today, but there were certain things like he made so many gay, you know, jokes. gay jokes, so many like it was just wrong. I mean, it, it was wrong. It's it, like it like, was nobody's then. nobody's gone after him. That right, it was fine then. You know what I mean? And I feel like a lot of that's the other thing. I feel like people learn and. The the problem I think with today is there's no room for forgiveness. Like I know that a lot of people have made a lot of mistakes and it's like, I feel like people can, they deserve second chances because I feel like people have learned and they've grown. And I feel like with more knowledge, the better people get. So I feel like people shouldn't be canceled off forever because of that. You know, that's yeah. like Louis CK doing weird dick shit. Yeah. Cancel him for a little bit. I, I, right. I, I, I that's type of stuff. Like I get people getting canceled for um, but let's go the other direction and let's talk about, I don't know, for instance, fuck dude, I had a really good example right now. Oh man, I can't believe I forgot it, but I will remember it in a second here. The, the, oh, oh, Dave Chappelle, right? Yeah. So like, like, like I, I like what he's doing. Like he gets on, like his sticks and stuff. Did you watch SNL? Fuck yeah, yeah, I did. Fuck so yeah, I did. I, I loved it. He gets up there and he's like, I'm just going to say what, Lorne. He starts like clowning on Lorne. He's like, like, I thought this is a comedy show, Lorne. <laughs> and, and dude, he is the anti-cancel culture. He's like, fuck yeah. you. And so my favorite Dave Chappelle is the beginning of Sticks and Stones where he's yeah. like, all right, I got, it's like, it like a riddle. It's like, all right, who am I? Um, I'm going to hold you, hold against you every single thing you've ever done or said in your whole fucking life, no matter when you said it, how you said it, you know, it starts making this whole list. And yeah. can you guess who I am? And they're like, he's like, I'm you motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I swear to God, Nadine, I was crying. I, was I died. He's so brilliant. He is so brilliant. It's like, also though, I feel like Dave Chappelle can get away with so much more than anyone else can. It's like, because he is a comedy god like he really is but also people know that he's not he's just calling it how it is right he's calling it how it is you know how you get away with it by not apologizing that's actually how you like donald trumpet you go like i'm not apologizing fuck you for being a baby and they're like but you're but you're fucking committing violence against me darius and i'm like fuck you yeah, but that's violence. No, nope. you know the, the number one rule they tell you is don't apologize for a joke. But it's like sometimes you're like, well, <laughs> well, like, like I don't remember who it was. They were talking about how Kevin Hart lost yeah, with the Oscars. Yeah, lost the Oscars, and 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 you're looking at that, and you're like, dude, you went digging into Twitter and took something away from yeah. that work for for his whole life. And like when that type of shit happens, that's not cool. Like like yeah, maybe he said something uncool, but he's a fucking comedian for Christ's sake. Yeah. His job yeah. is to say provocative shit. Yeah. You know? So he did the right thing where he was like, you know what, I'm not even going to do it. It was like cuz honestly, what did he have to gain from it by doing it because he was just going to be ripped apart more. So I don't think he was even giving in. I think he was just like, fuck you guys. I'm just going to lay low and I'm going to do my own thing. And I respect him for that decision. I really do. Even though people have forgiven him and a lot of people came to support, but it was just like, he's like, I don't need this. It's true. It's like, because now with the, the anonymity of the internet and people trolling people, like I was trolled 
being an executive producer of, you know, Below Deck Med for this controversial thing that happened on the boat last year. And I'm like, I don't control people's actions, you guys. Like, they're like, they think this thing's like made up. I'm like, I don't plant drugs on the boat. Like, you guys are out of your mind. And like thinking I'm not for mental health. I was like, go fuck yourself. Like, that is not me at all. Like, it was just one of those things where it's like, they feel like I've controlled these things. And I'm like, no, I go, what happens on our show is 100% real and I don't control it. Like, that's, Mm -hmm. we document it. Like, that's the difference between below deck meta. It's a crazy place. The internet is a crazy, crazy place. And then you click on these people to troll you. They have one follower. So it's a troll account. It's like, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck those people. Um, I, I think, I think that we should have a death march for trolls on the internet. <laughs> we should have like if you've ever been a troll, like you just get lit up. Like we're going to yeah. line you up like French, uh, right. <laughs> Northern African, French, uh, gun, gun style. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Darius here. And by now you might know that I'm passionate about a few things. Pizza, pink unicorns, core values, and down and dirty, interesting conversation with some amazing people. However, the biggest one that I've spent most of my career on is entrepreneurship and scale. You see, look, my first few years in business, I spent like probably a good five years of my life getting my freaking teeth kicked. I mean, really getting crushed. And I learned a lot during that time period. So I spent the greater part of the last couple of years helping entrepreneurs scale their businesses in a meaningful way without going through the same growing pains that I did. And what I realized is that CEOs and business leaders don't know if they can scale and thus they do the right thing at the wrong times. This causes them to lose clarity, lose momentum, alignment, and the bottom line is you lose money. And look, you don't have to do that. It's why I created what I call the scalability assessment. And you can access it 100% for free. That's right, guys. There are perks to listening to The Greatness Machine. All you have to do is go to DariusScale.com. That's D-A-R-I-U-S Scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And there, you can check to see if your business is set up to scale properly. It's going to give you a scalability score at the end. And it's also going to give you some clarity on what you can do next. Once again, guys, that's www.itsdariusscale.com. Once again, guys, it's DariusScale.com. And now back to the show. So let's do this. I want to kind of roll. So you, so I, because I, I, I really want you to t- tell the audience how, how you got to where you're at right now. Like let's so that I, Yeah. Yeah. So, so going into, so going into daddy's girl. So I started doing that and um, I realized being a writer and being able to tell a story because I was in that writer's room that I was like, and I'd never done reality at the time. So I had a very different route than other people that worked in reality uh, that I was able to put together a a story, you know, whether it was real or not. And so, you know, it was interesting in a room like that is we'd have table reads. And I remember, you know, Vanessa Simmons and all these people would come in the room. They're like, we wouldn't say this. And it's like, well, I know it's a reality show. This is, we have you write, like the network has us writing for you, but like, it's impossible without you guys in the room. So it was a, it was a weird process. Um, and then. After that, I went on because I realized I had this knack for like writing reality. And I started the series called Jerseylicious that was on the Style Network. So I had these girls that worked in the salon in Jersey. Um, I, I wrote up that whole season. Um, and then I was like, I'm not doing reality. This is crazy. Like, so I, I you know, still doing my standup. I was still doing all my things. And um, at the time, I was still trying to hawk my hot dog on a sick show. So I was still pitching it around. And I pitched it to who was actually one of my great friends now at a production company. And she had sold um, a show about art and cooking in Miami. 
for Bravo. And they first bought it as a Housewives of Miami. And then they said, no, it's going to be a, a show about art and cooking in Miami because we don't want to be known as the Housewives, Housewives Network. This was before the rise of like all the Housewives franchises because they oh, wow. started realizing, you know, they had Housewives of um, OC at the time and I think New York. And they were like, you know what? We've got too many Housewives. We don't want to be known as the Housewives Network. So we're going to make this a different show. So they went and shot this whole show. I wasn't in the field for this. Um, and then they brought it back to post-production. And we, they, my friend said, hey, because they started doing my hot dog on a sick show. They said, do you want to do a job um, kind of putting together a show in post-production, the storytelling? Because a lot of these shows in, uh, uh, that are shot verite, like real versus that, that are written, are the storytelling is done in post. And at the time, I booked a pilot for IFC, Independent Film Channel, to do their version of this is when Tosh Poino was had just come out. They wanted to do a nerdy version of Tosh. So I was going to host it, write it, do all that stuff. It was called the grid. And they asked me not to go on the road for my stand up. And I'd been to Afghanistan. I've been to a bunch of places and I was supposed to go to um, Iraq at the time, Iraq. And they, and they said, please don't leave the country. God forbid something happens. So my friend offered me this job and I was like, sure, I'll, I, I might as well take it just to learn. Like who can like I, it would be a great skill set for me to learn. So I took the job. They turned in the first couple episodes of this uh, non-housewife show they bought. Bravo looked at it and they go, well, this is a housewife show. And we're like, you didn't shoot a housewife show. And so it, it got kind of contentious between the production company and the network. They liked my episode. They said, whoever produced this episode, we're going to keep them. It happened to be me. And I was like, I'm not doing reality. Fuck that. But at, and in this time, my pilot didn't get picked up, even though IFC was positive it was going to get picked up. And so my friend goes, Nadine, can you please stay on the show? We need somebody that we trust. Because they were still fiscally responsible for the show, but they took the show physically away from them into an offsite edit bay. It was really unfortunate, actually, for that production company because they're very good people. And it wasn't Bravo's fault. It just They just weren't in line. It was They weren't in line. They didn't have the same vision of it. Um, and so basically, I go and I take over the house, what became the Housewives of Miami. We had to reshoot all the interviews, reframe the first season of Housewives of Miami. So if anybody ever goes back and watches the Housewives of Miami, the first season, there was like weird art shows. They had cooking lessons. Like it's nothing like any other Housewives. It's actually really bad. But like if somebody actually knew that information, they'd be like, how did you get that on the air? And how did you get it to air? Because it kind of looks like a housewife show. Like it was enough to get them a second season. So it's actually a miracle. It got picked up to more. Wow. So it was my naivete, not knowing like, you know, I, and I was in there. I, they brought on this, my friend um, who's uh, in charge of the housewives in New York for like a month to like, kind of get me going, show me how to do it. She left. So it was me, my story assistant at the time who became a had I known then what I, uh, blanked out for her had I known then what I know now, I would have never taken that job. But it was like boot camp, so I was like, I was just like doing what I like instinctually what I could do, like because storytelling is storytelling. Even though I'd never run a show in post, like I honestly don't know how I got it done. So I delivered the first season, and Bravo's like, you and I. I feel like it was a weird skill that I had because now looking back, I could look at people that have been in the business for a long time and have a hard time with posts. But I feel like it was one of those weird rain manny things that I was able to like look at the footage and piece it together kind of. And I think all my years of like storytelling and putting together my own things is what, you know, before I would look back and go, I got lucky. And it's like, no, I actually had been working in television since I was 19 and knew how to tell a story. So I, I like, I feel like the physical skill of the edit and I wasn't physically editing. I was just overseeing the edit. So sure. 
it, that was the part that you, I had to learn like how to physically give notes and do things like that. But we delivered that show. Um, it aired again. Bravo goes, you, Bravo said, you could never leave again. I go, I'm a stand up. Go, go screw your, go, go fuck off. I'm not going to do this anymore. And I remember about six months passed and they said, Amy, we have another show. We just need your help for a month. Can you please go reassess the show? It was in, it was a, a show called most eligible Dallas. So there was another first season show and uh, the production, the edit was in Apopka, Florida, which is a suburb of Orlando. They're like, you just have to go for a month. I'm like, I'm not going to Orlando. Like, are you out of your mind? And they're like, it's one month. What are you doing? And I'm like, just stand up. They're like, please. And I'm like, fine. Like, here's my price. I'll go for a month. I ended up going for two months. I got that show aired somehow. And so then they're like, Nadine, you can't leave. So I became kind of like their, their I, they wouldn't call it that, but like their fixer. So they would send me to troubled first season shows wow. that were in trouble for first seasons. And I would have to piece it together or reassess, is this a show they shot something. Can we do this? And then it that started happening with the field. So when they were shooting something, because I was talent, I I didn't realize that I had the skill set, but because I'd done all my years of radio interviewing people, so I was able to talk to people. And being on the other side of the camera, I knew never to mess with anybody, never to like mess with the integrity of anything. Like that's the thing. A lot of people like reality TV producers are evil. It's like I will never ever mess with them. Like I will never manipulate anything. And the people that I've worked with would tell you that like they have my full trust of like, I will never like what you see is what you get. And if they screw it up, it's on them. And we talk about it. Like, right. you know, they have a chance to own up to it, or whatever that is. And I feel like all my years of being a comedian and things like that helped me because I've been on the other side. I know what it's like to be messed with. I know what it's like to be manipulated. I know what it's like to be edited weirdly. And I, at that point, like, you know, started doing that while we were, you know, they'd send me out to the field. They send me out to post-production and um oh someone loves blow deck Matt. thank yeah, you yeah, no, we, awesome. have, we, have a, we have a few fans who, who are that's here. awesome hi karen and hi candy hi hi guys um so if they have questions we'll we'll get there in a second and i remember uh, i was sick of doing these fix-it shows and i just told bravo hey guys i'm a comedian let me do shows for you digitally like let me be on camera and let me do these things because i never saw myself as a reality producer and not that i didn't like it it was actually very creative what people wouldn't think but it is um, and so they started letting me do their digital shows. I did a, an after show in a bathtub there. I remember though, I'm like, I want to do an after show. I'm like, I want to take a bath with the Shaws. They're like, you're high. And I was like, dude, let me do it. I swear to God, people will click on it. It'll be funny. And they're like, all right, we'll give you $13,000 to this. I'm like, they thought no way she could do this. I'm like, I'll do it. I'll do it for free. I'm like, it wasn't $13,000 in my pocket. It was for all production. So like, I was completely out of pocket on this. My friend Jason and I, who works at Bravo, we were like editing the thing on our laptops like it was student film. Like it actually looks really good. And so what they didn't realize, how many people clicked on it because it looks like we're naked in a bathtub. We're not, but it was total clickbait of like, and they're like, Nadine, I don't know how you pulled this off, but you did it. And it's so uncomfortable to watch, but funny. And so- hey, By the way, I've watched that. Yeah, so it, it's like so awkward and uncomfortable because I'm talking about the show while I'm taking a bath with them. It's just so- <laughs> it, was an, it was like a bubble bath though, wasn't it? It was a bubble bath. It was yeah, so I, fun. I totally remember when so you put that. Fun. It was so, so fun. <laughs> so they're like, oh my God, they're like, it works, I guess. So then they started letting me do things for them on camera. So I was able to like fulfill my comedian side. And so I remember I was like, I'm, I'm done doing- these fix it shows. And I remember they wanted me to produce the shots. I felt too close to them because I know them all. So I'm like, I don't feel like I, I could do this show without bias. And I remember one day I caught a, and they'd been trying to get me on below deck for the first two seasons. Cause it was a show on the bubble. And it was, 
and they said actually that show does need help and we've been trying to get you on below deck so can you we would love it if you do below deck so i did season three of below deck and that was uh, the season with this girl, Rocky, who was, it was a very runaway, it was a, it was a runaway success that season and it was the highest rated season. And so we launched, so on, just sorry to interrupt. Um, we have like 10 more minutes. So I, I, and oh, sure, yeah. I don't, cause I, uh, I have a hard stop at two o'clock my time, uh, noon, your time. So, no um, so, uh, so how did the first two seasons of Below Deck go before? Because I actually, for some reason, I I didn't realize I didn't realize there was two seasons before you got involved. So. Well, it was of original Below Deck, not Below Deck Med. So I launched Med. So my yeah. franchise, I launched from the beginning. But um, but uh, it it just wasn't. I feel like they were trying to figure out the series. I feel like the edit was really messy, and they weren't able to. It, Bravo has a very specific brand, and I feel like they didn't have people that knew the network that were able to kind of like it's it's a certain sort certain type of storytelling with Bravo. Oh, it's like totally. and so very it's, formulaic. It's very formulaic. It's the sheen of it, the sound, all that stuff. And so when season three came about and we started developing Blow Deck Med, they Bravo gave me med. I launched med from the ground up and that became my baby. And then I was working on both, kind of overseeing both. Um and then I got too busy. Um and then now I have a now I'm only doing med and I have a first look with the network where I'm like, you know, come up, come up with show ideas in my production company and things like that and sell them things. Mm-hmm. Um, but med has been my baby from season one. And so they like, that's been, which is crazy. It was a franchise of the original and it actually rates higher than the original. <laughs> it's right. a high franchise. We just got a question from the audience. Were the first yes. two with captain Lee? Yes. The first two were with captain Lee. He still does the original, which is airing right now. Um, but cap, it was the first season of blow deck med was with this guy, captain Mark. And then we brought on captain Sandy, which is, we could talk about that on the next podcast, but of how captain Sandy came about. But, uh, but yeah, uh, captain Lee was with the original and captain Lee actually came with the boat when they sold below deck. Like he wasn't supposed to be on the show he just came with the boat when we, we chartered the boat for the show. Oh, no way. Yeah. So, so, so. I mean, obviously that that's been kind of a turning point for you. What year did that happen in, by the way? Uh, Med launched in 2016. We shot it in 2015. We were in Greece. I started below deck. Uh, season three was in 2015 as well. Okay, cool. So, so in 2013, I did. That was the first time we had seen each other since like high school. We did the uh, TEDx thing. Yeah. So I asked yeah. him to come and t- and do a TEDx uh, Golden Gate. Coolest Park. experience of my life. Thanks, Darius. Oh, uh, thank you. I, I think we had tech dif- difficulties, and you were very gracious about it. Um, <laughs> but it was yeah, it was it was very it was very, really cool. And, and your mom and brother were there too. I love Bugsy too, Karen. Yeah, my mom and brother were there too. <laughs> So, so, so this was two years. So you were doing all this hustling in between because I think at that point you were doing the Showtime here, hot tamales, yep. stand up, and then from that you got the show. So your life really went. You were like, I mean, honestly, it, I'm hearing like living color Jamaican like jobs. Like you're just like it literally was. It, 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 and it turned, and I just got too busy when I started juggling both the below decks. And then when the network gave me a first look, it was just like I couldn't. It's not like I don't want to get on stage. So this past year, I was like, I have to do what makes me happy. And Below Deck does make me happy. But like, 
I am very much a, I, I don't have this need to be on camera, but I am a comedian. I will always be a comedian. So I forced myself to get on stage. It was the best feeling in the world to get back on stage and be doing all these things. And then the pandemic hit. So, <laughs> you know, but, but stand up is something I'll do to the day I die. Uh, but, you know, I've been very fortunate. I kind of fell into what I was doing. Um, but I, it, it's funny how life is. It's like, you don't, I mean, Darius, think about your turning point. It's like you, you would have never known that you would have, you know what I mean? It's like the way if you, if this event didn't happen, this wouldn't have happened. It's like, it's just, it's not something you, you, you can't plan life. You really can't. It's tough to, it's, it's, it's hard to, when you're in it, it's hard. So I'm going to go, go to that. So, so you end up at the, doing the below deck med. It's yeah. a runaway success. How did that change your career? Um, you know, what's interesting, it's funny because what I was doing and what I do for Below Deck Med, you know, I obviously I run the field, I run post, I oversee the whole series. Um, it's funny because when it wasn't as successful, like the first two seasons, it was, it did well, but it wasn't like a runway success. Um, you know, it has opened so many doors where everyone's like, oh, we need like, I could be pitching the same idea. Uh, I can be pitching the same idea as I did five years ago now, and now people will listen. And it's funny because I haven't done anything different as a producer, which is so interesting of what people's perception is. It's like, I've been doing the same thing as a producer from the day I started. And I mean, obviously, maybe I have a lot more experience, but like, it's interesting once something becomes successful, they have your attention and everybody wants, it's like, oh, what do you have? We want to give you whatever you want. And it's like, you guys, I'm still the same person. I still have the same brain as I did five years ago, 10 years yeah. ago. So well, it's, the, the difference, it's unfortunate. The difference is, is if the show sucks, they don't get fired now because right. you have a track record. Whereas right. before you were a unknown entity to a certain That's point. That's right. right? So and now it's proven. They're like, oh, now the showrunner of Blow Deck Med is producing this. So it's um, almost like a... Trust it's, it's, Yeah. It's like when you see movies that are like from the makers of E.T. when it's Spielberg. From right. Steven Spielberg. It's like, that's what it's become. And it's interesting because, I mean, there is honestly, I have not done anything differently in the last five, six years of my career uh, with the series that I'm doing now. It's just, we get lucky. And it's lightning in a bottle when you have a successful show because you don't know who's going to watch. You don't know how many people are going to watch. You don't know what's going to happen. And that's mm -hmm. the that's why I like doing the show is because it is so real and raw. And I've, you're really a fly in the wall and we should, I'll come back on your show anytime we could talk about it more. Cause it's such an interesting yeah. uh, social experiment, our series um, and a lesson in psychology, but like we really just sit there and watch screens and for people to be like, you guys are controlling this. It's like, no, we actually, this is why I love the show because we don't know what's going to happen. The way you guys watch is the way we watch. We just shrink it down and edit, but like, it's crazy. Like it is crazy. And you're beholden to maritime law, mother nature, we have a lot of things that we that other reality shows don't do. Housewives goes and shoots for, I don't know, two hours a day. Like we shoot twenty four hours a day on a boat where the whole boat is rigged. Like there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah, I lived. I, you know, I lived on a boat for a hundred days. Did yes, you know? yes. When you did a semester at sea. Yeah, that is so, wild. So, so I mean, like that. I mean, like I get it. Like, dude, there's a lot of crazy shit that happened when we were on our boat, and yeah. and, and there was six hundred college students on a boat for three and a half months. That's that's a show that they've got to rig and and uh and do. It's really. I mean, it's an amazing experience. I mean, I was lucky to get to do it when I was twenty. And any anyone out there that's thinking about it, you should totally have your kids do it if you can afford Are it. Are they still doing it? I mean, it's not a pandemic, but yeah. Expensive. No, I think they were doing it. I don't know with the pandemic what's happened, but they were. Be maybe they shut it down because of the pandemic. Um, so I do. Number one, 
we are definitely going to do a part two on this show because we yeah. just got into like where you're at right now. And I really want to kind of go deeper into the, to the below deck um, med uh, experience. So let's, let's do that. Let's plan on doing, are you down for that part two? Absolutely. You guys let me know when, and any of the listeners here can have uh, questions and things like that. And um, high core value question, <laughs> any questions and things like that, be ready. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll address all of them. Yeah, we have a we'll question. Have an AMA. <laughs> yeah, we have one quick question, and then we're going to get wrapped up here. How okay. many how many production people are on the boat shooting beyond the people we see? Uh, one, one or two cameramen. Not not a lot actually, because we have a capacity of the boat. So we have um, we take over a, a, a stateroom of a boat. So that's where we are kind of all housed. So it's uh, I'm the show owner. I have a director next to me who basically just calls where the cameras go. I'm my number two. Um, who's always listening to what's going on. And then I've got a another story producer that's kind of running all the surveillance decks. So there's only four of us kind of controlling what's happening. And then we've got a production assistant. The camera people on the boat, we have anywhere from two to three at a time. Typically it's two and everything else is surveillance. So we are literally running and gunning. And it's it's as we hear. So like we're listening to the whole boat's rig. So we're listening to what's happening. So if I hear the chef freaking out, I'll yell to the director, hey, send the camera to the galley. If uh, and then you know someone will yell out in the room, like our story producer, go Nadine. Oh my gosh, someone's someone's upset about something while they're cleaning, and I'd be like, great, go send the camera there. So, and then our jobs are psychologically to be two steps ahead of them of how we think they're going to react. So if we think they're going to go and confront somebody, we will go send a camera already in advance, knowing that they're going to confront somebody or knowing like it's we and it's a guessing game. A lot of times we're wrong, and it's like it's really a lesson in psychology. Oh, it's so cool. so interesting. That's Thanks, so, Candy Dandy. <laughs> so cool. Um, so um, one last question, and then we're going to wrap it up here. Um, if you could give your your twenty year old self, your twenty one year old self, when you were just getting into the business, any advice, knowing what you know now, having the success you've had so far, what what advice would you give yourself? I always say, I always say, like I would always tell myself that it was going to be okay, and and all that stuff, but like. In a way, I'm glad I didn't know because I feel like it would have, like, I if my guard would have been down and I would have not had the hustle. And like, I always had the hustle, and I feel like the unknown was what always kept me hungry. And so I feel like I would tell myself to always stay hungry and always learning because, and also don't have an ego. Like that's the one thing that I've learned when I have to deal with people on, you know, that are on camera that I work with, it's like the ego is going to be the, your biggest enemy and it's what's going to keep you from growing. And I would always, and I feel like this is something that I has been instilled with my family is always give, have respect for yourself and give mutual respect because when you give respect, you're going to get respect back. And I feel like that's something that like, I've been very lucky that I've had a very grounded, you know, family that's been able to instill that in me. Like I was never, you know, obviously we all have our own insecurities, but like I was always very calm in situations and I was always very respectful and very grateful. And I would always just tell myself to always stay humble and don't have an ego. But I don't feel like I ever suffer from that. But there's always parts where like you look back and go, you know, that was my ego reacting and not me if I got upset about certain things. So I feel like that's that's the thing that I would, you know, and it's, it's hard to say, be like, well, I don't have an ego. It's like, well, that's actually having an ego. <laughs> you don't yeah. have an ego. Yeah. What do you mean? I don't have a fucking ego. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you do, Darius. That's your ego talking. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, what a, what a great show. I'm so pumped to have you here and to have you uh, come Thank back. You, this is so much fun. Like you and you I. Just let me know when I'm in town. So it's great. 
Yeah, I'll send you a link and we'll reschedule that up because cool. this is going to be like, I really want to dive deeper with you. But oh my gosh, what a treat. It's like, like Nadine. Thank you, Derek. This is so a, fun. And thank you, everyone listening. Yeah, it's such a rock star. Guys, um, how lucky are we to have Nadine? Um, first of all, great show. We got uh, next week, we got Marsha Rawls coming in, CEO, art expert. She has her brand new business we're going to be talking about. She's an amazing person. Can't wait to have Marsha on here. But um, on my side, guys, thank you so much. Um, first and foremost, if you haven't picked up a copy of my book, pick up a copy of my book. Um, and if you have write a review on it, but, uh, sign up at the where you can get, uh, any updates on the show. Uh, we're having a ton of great people coming on in the next few weeks and we're giving a bunch of show updates as well as, um, giving updates on the book and, and some things that are going on with that. I'm, I'm doing a bunch of podcasts right now, uh, where we talk about the book and last but not least, I'm actually launching a podcast on the book. So for those of you guys that love the book, it's going to be me giving a lot of insight on the podcast behind the scenes stuff on the book. But my gosh, I love having Nadine in, in, like around. We always have the best time. You are the you are such a hey, champion. Darius. You're Darius is one of my oldest friends and one of honestly one of the greatest humans on earth in my opinion. So thank I, you for always championing me. Oh my gosh, it's it's <laughs> like I love it. I'm always like Nadine. We got to do a show together. We do. Um, you guys, let that everyone have a great week. Stay safe. Don't get COVID. We love you. Out. Thanks, guys. Bye, everybody. <laughs> you are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Guys, The Greatness Machine is all about two things. People who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world, and we feature these messages and speakers so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life and your own business. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from. And leave us a review. We love getting reviews for the show. If the episode made you think of someone who is leveling up in their business and life, print screen it, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to learn from one another. You can also go to our website, www.thegreatnessmachine.com. That's www.thegreatnessmachine.com. And on there, you'll see special tools to help you scale your business faster. Show notes for the episode to help you integrate the lessons and you will also get links that came out during the show. So on there, look, you can also grab a copy of my book, The Core Value Equation, which is a resource for helping CEOs and business leaders establish core values from their teams that don't suck. And mind you, a lot of them suck. Get access to this and more at www.thegreatnessmachine.com. With that said, you guys, look, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We out of here. See you guys next time. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously. 
which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.